a beautiful passage. Uh, it is Job 28. We've been working through the book of Job for quite some time, and we're looking forward to the back part uh, once we get to 38, when God speaks 38, 39, 40, and 41. But there's a lot of other good stuff between here and there, and the three friends have, three friends, former friends, we might say, have desisted, and we're going to go to Job speaks about now, if you'll think about this, the whole thing is regarding wisdom and understanding. He's drawing the application of how man has mined for precious stones, how incredibly creative man is at digging and searching, and yet man on his own cannot find God's wisdom. And so that's, that's verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding we find, and so that's like the key verse, if you would. Uh, uh, let's just start reading the beginning. Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness and searcheth out all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The flood breaketh out upon from the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up, they are gone away from men. As for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is turned up, as it were, fire. The stones of it are the place of sapphires, and it hath dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. Again, referring to how clever man is in searching and digging for special treasure, treasure uh, uh, diamonds, etc. He putteth forth his hand upon the rock. He overturneth the mountains by the roots. Uh, he cutteth out rivers among the rocks, and his eye seeth very precious thing. He bindeth the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid bringeth he forth to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth said, It is not in me. And the sea saith, It is not with me. It cannot be gotten by gold or for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, speaking of wisdom, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of the pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall be valued pure gold. Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air, destruction and death say, We have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heaven to make the weight of the, for the winds. And he weigheth the waters by measure when he had made a decree, when he made a decree for the rain and, and the way for the lightning of the thunder. Then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and apart from evil is understanding. So those two verses, 12 and 28, are key verses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd hide me behind these, this wonderful passage of what a wonderful description, such poetic description of you and wisdom and we and our own contrivances trying to search but never finding it without you. True wisdom is found in you. So Lord, may we uh, listen together. Forgive me a sin, empty me with self, and please fill me with your spirit even this evening. I pray in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Really, it's, it's kind of, this is a, a real different, it, we, in chapters up to 26 and 27, now 27, he re responds to the three friends, they are finally silent. 
So now it's, it's a big difference. 28, it seems like a distantly removed from what we've been going on. The, uh, the uh, if you would, the uh, tense debate is over for that regard. And so it's a masterpiece of poetic brilliance that one man says, it's a delight to read aloud. But one question theologians have asked is, who actually, was it the narrator or Job speaking here? Some say, well, you know, it's interlude is so different. It was inserted by the narrator. For, the narrator comes on the scene in 1 and 2. He says right at the beginning of uh, 20, 29, moreover, Job continued his parable. The narrator in 27 verse 1, moreover, Job continued his parable and said. And so the Holy Spirit, through someone possibly other than Job as a narrator, gets this together, and so was it the narrator or was it Job? But I don't think we have to really, we, even though it's different, I don't think we have to worry about saying that Job wrote this. The narrator, uh, it, it's not necessarily problematic, but it doesn't really fit his normal uh, operandi, if you would. Uh, but every, remember, everything that these men spoke does not is not here in the text. We don't have to say, it's like the Gospels. Jesus spoke so many more words, but the Holy Spirit designed and inspired men to write down what he wanted. And so we don't, there probably could have been a lot more words spoken here that we just don't have the totality of, but we have what God wanted us to hear the men say. So we don't have to, we don't have to say, well, Job could not have said these words because he was so much different. Job could have said them very easily. So let's not get hung up on that. So we find it's really inconsistent because the narrator almost always alerts us to his presence, what he's going to announce. And, and, and so really, we find in that the Job clearly in 27, 1, and Job spake, 29, 1, and Job spake. So it's really sandwiched between two clear indications that Job is speaking here. And so we find, and so that also the narrator was one who typically used prose rather than poetry. Now I have to admit, I had to look up the difference between prose and poetry. You may not even care about the difference between prose and poetry. Poetry uses rhyme and, and, and rhythm, if you would, to create a musical or chant-like effect. Prose, more straightforward writing and does not rely on rhyme or meter. Just straight to the punch, if you might want to say. That would be the narrator. Job is much more of a poetic through the spirit's inspiration writer. So I believe, personally, I have seen no reason why Job did not write this, and it wasn't the narrator writing all of 28. Job speaks here for us, if we want, in my thinking. And Job could have done that. The thing is wisdom. We have the two key words, in 20 and in 12, we find those two key words there for us. In 12, it says, but where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? And, and we find in 20, whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? So the, the Hebrew word there, wisdom, is chokmah. Can you pronounce it correctly? But there we are. And the other one is binah. And it's, it's perfectly natural, I think, for Job to talk about wisdom and understanding. Uh, they have tried to talk about it earlier on, but they are evidencing that they don't really understand what wisdom was, per se. Remember, the Job's friends have a theological stall, and they want to push Job into it, confess your sin, repent, and everything will be okay. But Job is resilient, I guess, going into the stall to go out into the rodeo. No, I, I did not do anything wrong. Your, your thinking of God is incorrect. Although he would agree that, you know, in many regards, he agreed with what they said, but they were trying to pin that on Job. Job, I haven't sinned. So you can't make this blanket statement. But if you're wicked, you're getting punished. And if you're being punished, you're wicked. So three things, three S's. First of all, there is the seeking. Seeking, we find, I like what Adam Clark says, this chapter is the oldest and finest piece of natural history in the world. Quite an accolade for one chapter. 
And it gives us very important information on several curious subjects. And could we ascertain the precise meaning of all the original words, we might most probably find out allusions to several useful arts which we are apt to think are of modern or comparatively modern invention, end of quote. So this is quite the chapter. Remember, keep in mind the entire next few moments, we're talking about Job is going to use the principle of how man digs in the earth and and the devices he uses to discover diamonds or sapphires and as we look for wisdom but god is the one and god is wisdom and so that's the whole principle verse one and surely there is a vein for silver and a place for gold where they find it we find it nature indeed i think teaches that i like what women says nature indeed teaches that as gold is obtained with immense labor so it is kept with difficulty creating great anxiety and attended in its use both with pleasure and with grief. In other words, you get gold, but there's all these problems. Once you have it, where am I going to put it? Where am I going to store it? Is, is Chris coming to take it? Oh, I don't know. I've got to hide it from Chris or maybe Steve. But All these worries and things. Am I going to get my best return from... And so with all the, anxi- with all the immense effort to get it, there's the anxiety of having it. 20, verse 2, iron... It's taken out of the earth, and brass is molten out of the stone. So the Hebrew word there, we could also make, as Henry Morris says, for copper. Most references uh, to brass in the Bible refer to some kind of alloy, tin, and copper together. Iron's mentioned in Scripture, and I was looking it up uh, myself today. In 1450 B.C. approximately, there was the king of Bashan, Og. King of Bashan, perhaps that's where the king-sized bed comes in, I'm not sure. Thirteen and a half feet by not uh, long and about uh, six feet wide. Thirteen and a half feet by six feet wide. That was a very tall person. It's made of iron. It's interesting, even in Egypt, they, will, they would bury people with iron ornaments because it was so hard to smelt and to make the iron. It was a very, very valuable thing. One man says, it's gross and stubborn ore, must feel twice the force of fire and go through two laborious processes before it becomes fit for use. In fact, someone has said this fact which made it to Job as proof of the wisdom of man. We've been able to invent the processing formula for making iron, and that's, we're pretty smart in that regard, but that's not where wisdom is. Wisdom and understanding is from God. Three. He setteth an end to the darkness and searches out perfection, all perfection, and the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The word darkness, the first one, end of darkness, refers to the end of spiritual or moral darkness. And the second, the stones refer to stones mined for minerals and metals in the physical darkness below the earth's surface. And the shadow of death, would you believe it, ten references in Job to the shadow of, of death. And in, in the Bible, we're more familiar with the shadow of death Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, from Psalm 23. It's not an actual death, of course. I like what Pastor Carroll once said many, many years ago. It's just a shadow. Shadow cannot hurt you. It's a shadow of death. So we find then that it's a presence of danger. So if you're mining, we are very familiar in our area with the deep mines. There's a presence of danger. You're living in the deep. If you're working there, there's a presence of danger of collapsing or We've had, especially West Virginia, several people have been killed as mines have collapsed. So there's that danger. Schmick says, the point is that man's intelligence and determination enable him to accomplish amazing feats of technological ingenuity. But left to himself, he cannot find wisdom. Wisdom is a treasure rarer than any other. 
we would think, I think what Mr. Womack said earlier on, we would think if we were bereft of all the things we have now that we are, 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 are being it's bad for us, it might be good for us. I'm thinking it might very well turn us from our self-sufficiency to call upon God more. It would. It would me. Probably would you. If, if you person who have everything, does, and exactly the point on, why do we need God if we have everything? And yeah, that's, that's when we need God the most. Instead of putting our trust in ourselves, for every 100 men who can handle adversity, only one can handle success. Because so many people, when they get successful, God goes out the window. Never was in the window, maybe perhaps in the first place. But we, so the treasure, the treasure of having God as our constant source of friendship and go-to person, we should treasure that. As for the next verse, 25, as for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is turned up, as it were, fire. Albert Barnes says this is like being, we have the precious stones being turned up. So it not only gives bread, but also the turning up the fire, the precious stones that can be turned up and shown and gathered together from the earth. What amazing thing it is. So grain on one end and turning up the stones on the other. So we have been clever enough, ingenuity, to, to make bread, to be able to raise bread, et cetera, give the wheat, et cetera. And we've also been clever enough to mine all these stones, precious stones out of the earth. Six, the stones of it are the place of sapphires, and it hath dust of gold. I was reading today that the most, can you imagine what the most expensive stone is today? What is the most expensive idea? It is the blue diamond worth 3.93 million per carat. 3.93 million dollars per carat. And then there's the pink diamond, and then there's the red diamond, and there are some, then after that, emerald. So there's a lot of, a lot of variety. And so according to our text here, we find the diamond, as you know, diamonds are precious, but then we would say, according to the Encyclopedia on Mineralogy, the Oriental Ruby of the Traveler, First would be the highly prized red carmine uh, uh, sapphire, then the, the oriental ruby, and then there is that, and then there's the other valuable ones, the blue sapphires, and then there is the yellow sapphires, topaz, etc., lesser values. But what it's saying that we are, they were searching even in Job's day, able to draw these out. What, what uh, they're able to find these things. Therefore, verse seven, there's a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. Interestingly enough, the vulture's eye, it was fairly recently found that by ornithologists, bird watchers, studiers, that vultures and other scavenger birds spot their prey by keen vision rather than by sense of smell. Albert Barnes says that when a camel dies in Arabia, there's almost immediately discerned far in the distant sky what seems at first to be a mere speck as it draws nearer is perceived to be a perceived to be a vulture. They had marked the camel as it fell and then comes to prey upon it. The bird is a proverbial for the keenness of sight. So even though the bird has this keen sight, there are places that mankind has dug into the earth and searched for diamonds and sapphires the bird can't even see, even though it has this keen sight. So we, Job says mankind has this great ability to dig and to search and to find out. Verse 8. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. The lion that ventures into the most dangerous places in pursuit of prey has not dare go where mankind has gone 
not Star Trek, mankind has gone to find out these precious stones, even the lions won't do it, because it's so far removed. 9, 10, and 11 says, For us here, he putteth forth his hand upon the rock, he overturneth the mountains by the roots, he cutteth out rivers among the rocks, and his eye seeth every precious thing, he bindeth the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid bringeth he forth to light. Isn't it interesting? Now, what does that speak of? It is speak of, if you are digging a cave, a tunnel, sorry, a well into the ground, and you're going deep, you've got to shore up the sides. And matter of fact, you want, you don't want water trickling in these tunnels because it's going to destroy it. And so you, you shore up the sides, and you're clever enough to keep the water, even the rivers of water, from getting in your tunnel. You're able then to go deep into the earth and to mine these special treasures. Man's even come up with that. That's a paraphrase of those three verses, but that's the idea. And so we find that they have been very, very smart on this idea of making. And the machinery, this is Job's day. I don't know how it worked. I know they didn't have these big uh, carts on the tracks that go down into the, get the coal mines. I know that wasn't running like that. But somehow they were able to get down deep to, to find these jewels. There's some people who don't do it right, though, however, because there's some people who needed wisdom. In 1997, there was a... Ordinary foolishness regarding some men who wanted to steal from fireworks store. So by using a welder's torch, they cut through the wall of the building, housing the fireworks. Extraordinary foolishness. Several burglars pushed their luck to the brink of failure when they tried to pull off a heist of a building containing a large volume of fireworks. This is 1979, 1997, sorry, 1997 in England. And they used a cutting torch to slice through the main door, which was eight feet tall, and reinforced with a solid inch of steel. Just as the torch penetrated the door and success was at hand, a spark landed on a crate of fireworks near the door. Fireworks are explosive. And this particular crate contained the equivalent of a hundred pounds of gunpowder. The entire factory exploded and the door was plopped off its hinges and slammed fat, flat to the ground. Astonishingly, the perpetrators were not killed and have never been found yet. Flabbergasted pyrotechnics professionals have dubbed them the hole-in-the-ground gang. The hole-in-the-ground gang. Wisdom was hidden from the hole-in-the-ground gang. However, it's not hidden from God, but what Job has spent the first 11 verses setting the stage for verse 12. We've been quite clever. We can do all these things in hunting for precious metals, precious jewels, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? So that was a seeking, the searching then is in 12 to 19. But where is the mind for wisdom? The shaft that man must retrieve. Where's that shaft that you can build down to understanding? And where can we go down to get a hold of wisdom? Where are those shafts? That's what we need. But where shall wisdom be found? Where's the place of understanding? Men of ancient times have been ingenious enough to discover, mine, and smelt valuable metals and minerals from the deep in the earth, yet they have often found it much more difficult to discover true wisdom, although God makes it readily available to those who truly desire it. This is the true wisdom, and yet it's like, it's, it's like the bane of some people's existence. The Bible, that old, that old that doesn't have anything for me today. However, God said in Proverbs chapter 1, Verse 7, Proverbs 1, verse 7 says for us here, The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Psalm 19, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. See, that's where it comes from, and yet mankind wants to put that aside. We need wisdom. Matter of fact, there was a young, a young father who needed wisdom. He was left by the mother, had to do some errands, and the proud young papa stayed home to watch his wonderful new son. And soon after the mother left, the baby started to cry. The father did everything he could to make it stop crying, but it wouldn't stop crying. Finally, he got so worried, he decided to take it to the doctor. The doctor listened to the father tell all that he had done to make the baby stop crying. The, bo- the doctor then examined the baby's ears and the chest and looked down in the diaper. And when he undid the diaper, he found that the diaper was completely indeed full and probably overflowing. Here's the problem, said the doctor. He needs to be changed. And the father was perplexed. But, but, but I, I read on the box... The diaper package says it's good up to 10 pounds. So he needed some wisdom. Needed some wisdom. On a much sadder note, I was just reading this. uh, This is written 21 by a lawyer who is a Baptist, I think down south. His name is Chris Conley. It's regarding climate change, but that's not what I want to talk about. He says climate change is not simply a fact. It is a crisis. But he said, I must admit Now, this is a Baptist deacon. I must admit, I've never spent time or energy puzzling over Adam's belly button or lack thereof. Nor have I lost sleep over the penetrating theological question posed by Clarence Darrell 75 years at the so-called Scopes Monkey Trial, a question that left a fundamentalist William Jennings Bryan uncharacteristically at loss for words. The question, whom did Cain marry? He married his sister. Apparently, this question is a big deal for others. It certainly is for the fundamentalist apologist Ken Ham who views our ability to answer that question as somehow key to our Christian faith. He says, I am not a young earther, and in all candor, I doubt there was an Adam and Eve as such who could have had belly buttons or not. And I likewise doubt that there was a Garden of Eden that we could somehow pinpoint on a map. That doesn't mean, though, that I don't, that I doubt the Bible is divinely inspired. Instead, I personally hear in Genesis the account is the same God who later would speak to us in metaphors and analogies at Christ's parables using the power of symbol and myth to communicate deep spiritual truths to us about God, about ourselves, and about the world in which we live. I think he's giving to Jesus myths. Do you understand? what that's, that's not wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you somehow, I feel, I, that's the bad to start with. God says is where we should start. So the first, the, 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 the diaper problem is not such a big deal. That's a very big deal if you are a deacon in a Baptist church that you doubt the word of God. I'm telling you, it's, it's, you should not be that place. It's my personal opinion. There we are. As a lawyer, he needed some common sense, I think. The searching, wisdom in 13. And remember, looking for wisdom. In 13, man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. So the idea is, man knoweth not its source, or man knoweth not its equal, or man knoweth not the seat thereof, or Coverdale, no man can tell how worthy a thing is. The, the wisdom is beyond understanding. Its price, it says earlier on, is above rubies. And yet, it's something that is not really wanted to be attained by many in our own world today. 14 of our text says, The depth said, It is not in me. The sea saith, It is not with me. 
It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed, for the price thereof it cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. It is priceless. Before the MasterCard came up with these little things, so-and-so, you know, feeding your cats, good. You know, feeding your dog, good. Starting your car, good. But spending time with your, on the fishing, on the fishing lake, priceless. I didn't use that exact example, but that's the idea. Beyond price. Wisdom is beyond price. It is. That's what Job is saying. Very poetically. The word, this word, uh, this word crystal here denotes a rock crystal having a strong resemblance, says Barnes, to the diamond, and perhaps then regarded as nearly its equal. It cannot be supposed that the relative value of gems, though, was the current understanding as we know it today. Gems have been valuable. Of course, they're more valuable now than in the past, but gems have always been valuable. Verse 18, I would think. Verse 18 says, for us no mention shall be. They would have to be, or Job would not have equated them to make the example. Price far above rubies. The lady in Proverbs 31 is far above rubies. And so that's like the standard. It's even greater than that. So there had to be a valuable standard for even to be used. Am I thinking? 18. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Poole says, man doth not see this wisdom, but only so far as God is pleased to reveal it to him. And therefore, he cannot declare it to others. Man did not prepare, nor order, nor contrive it. And therefore, no wonder if he cannot search it out. What we, are, what we discover, God knows. And so when you jettison yourself from the Bible, you're starting, with, from, you're starting from a very, very backward position. So those who say atheistically that we happen by accident or by a big bang, you, number one, you're starting on the wrong footage. If you want to know the truth about things, it begins with the God's word, and whether you're a believer or not. And finally, the source in closing. Seeking, searching, source. Verse 20 to 24. At whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living, and kept close for the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof, for he looketh to the ends of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven. Like what Spurgeon says, he says, it seems to say that though men should explore the deep places of the earth with all the diligence of miners seeking gold and silver, though they should exert all their mental force, as miners use their muscular vigor, and though they should employ all the machinery within their reach, as men who do pierce through the rocks in search of precious treasure, yet it is not within the range of human labor and skill to attain unto wisdom. They can only be found by another and a higher method. It must come to us by revelation from God, for we cannot find it in our own efforts. End of quote. Scientists who believe have discovered so much because they understand the principle of God creating things. Verse 25, to, to make the weight of the winds, and he weighteth the waters by measure. Only about 300 years ago, says Morris, it was revealed the scientifically about the air has weight. The relative weights of air and water were carefully placed by God in the precise amounts needed for the most efficient functioning of the world's hydrologic or water cycle which in turn sustains life on earth. How is it that the droplets stay up there for just the right time until they start coming down out of the air to, to us? God, when he made 26 a decree for the rain and the way of lightning of the thunder, 
God decrees the, the lightning. So whenever the lightning strikes, and, and there's a, well, just read it. Lightning's now known to be a manifestation of electrical energy. When it suddenly arcs across the sky, it heats the air along the path, making a partial vacuum. So as it lightnings, then it vacuums, and then when it comes together, the closer you are to it, the louder it is. So, and the, that's what happens. It has to come back together, and there's that rumbling lightning and thunder, as it pictured. Was it uh, Robert Stuart Hine? Uh, awesome wonder, when I, how great thou art. The mighty thunder, the mighty thunder. So that's, that's mighty thunder. God designed that. 28. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. God is the only mine for wisdom and the bottomless shaft on which understanding may be quarried. God is to fear, to have the reverence. Job, in chapter 1, he eschewed evil. He feared God. Job is the one who demonstrates this at the very verse 28. He's doing that very thing. Again, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I was changing a circuit breaker for the first time in my electric box at home. And so uh, I, I wore glasses. I turned away when I flipped the switches and did not get the arc flash. I watched some DIY do-it-yourself videos. And so having now an authority on that. And so, but one guy said, you don't need to turn off the main breaker if you don't want to. <laughs> I'm thinking the other guy said, yes. So I turned that puppy off and I turned all the breakers off. So there we go. I've got, those, I've got three little uh, things that measure the electricity, you know, the amps. Not sure how to use them, except the one goes when it's got power on it. I don't do that again either. So there we go. That's understanding and have a reverence for electricity. My wife, I, is it done? I said, it's done. But it's nerve-wracking because the wires are still hot, right? The wires that come into the box are still hot. Above, so... Just don't touch those. And when you t- be careful when you take the, the, the cover off so it doesn't fall. And, you know, <laughs> behind me, my death is right there if I'm not careful. And so I'm probably exaggerating, but to me, it's like, mm-hmm. the fear of the Lord. So if we really wanted to be wise, we would trust him. And if our country really wanted to get back to, with God, we would believe him instead of all the mechanizations we have of avoiding him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. If you're wanting to write a book and call it the knowledge of the holy, it's been done. Really good book. So you, don't, you can't write your book. And give, you could give it the title, I guess, but it's already been done once. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's our God. And may we worship him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to seek you, uh, not the world's wisdom, May we not be succumb to the world's ideology and worldview, but may we uh, seek you, seek your word, and by your grace may we grow. So help us to be wise, not in the things of the world, but in the things of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.